And if you'll notice in your bulletins, uh, it says right now is worship and stewardship. So we're going to take two offerings today. We're going to start this process of trying to outgive God. So we're going to have two offerings every Sunday. What do you guys think? No. Uh, <laughs> no, we can never outgive God, can we? Uh, he, he, he's a good God and He gives us a lot of blessings. Um, but we are going to preach the Word this morning. And we're going to be talking about, continuing to talk about the armor of God. And specifically this morning, we're going to talk about having our feet shod or fastened with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The armor of God. We've talked about it for the last few weeks. We talked about and I'm just going to go through and review some things that are important for us to understand. First, the battle that we fight is not against flesh and blood. And we're going to talk about that concept a little bit this morning. But we don't war against flesh and blood. Men and women are not our enemies. Our battle is against spiritual wickedness, powers and principalities in the heavenly places. Satan, the enemy of our soul. That's who we battle against in an ultimate sense. Now sometimes the battle seems to take shape with regards to men and women, people who we would perceive might be our enemies. But ultimately those are people who Jesus Christ died for. Those are people who He shed His blood for. They are not our enemies. Those are people, and we'll, we'll talk about this this morning, uh, that we want to reach with the gospel. So we fight a battle against uh, spiritual wickedness. And it's encouraging us in this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the full armor of God, not just a piece here and a piece there, but the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and it will come, we are prepared for whatever that particular battle might be. And the battles can take shape in a myriad of different ways. It's not always predictable, is it? Sometimes the battles we fight as Christians look different. If, if, if we could always predict what the enemy was going to do, it would be a much easier fight. But we can't. So we have to have the full armor of God on so that when the day of evil comes, we will be prepared and able to stand our ground. And then we saw a couple of weeks ago that we are to put on the belt of truth, to buckle on the belt of truth. And this was essential. It's sort of the starting point for everything. Because if we're not girded up, if we're not buckled, then we can very easily trip up. Of course, in, in the early first century, they wore robes. And if they were not buckled, they could trip on the hems of the robes and fall. And if we're not buckled with truth, it's very easy for us to be deceived, very easy for us to fall into deception, be convinced that something out there that points us away from God is a path that we should follow. But if we're buckled with the belt of truth, then we have the ability to discern right and wrong, true and false. So buckling with the belt of truth. And then we, it's 
saw last week that we are to have the breastplate of righteousness in place. And we talked about how that righteousness is the imputed righteousness of Christ. Every one of us here this morning who are Christians, who have been born again of the Spirit of God, we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. No matter how far down we may stumble, no matter how foolish we may look, Ultimately, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ. He looks at each of us and says, the righteousness of Christ. And that's important. And we'll talk about that also a little bit this morning as relates to the gospel of peace. But also, because of our uh, being connected to God through Jesus Christ, because the fact we abide in the vine and have that life of Christ coming out into us. The life of Christ, that Zoe life. Remember we talked about that word Zoe? Life, the God life. That's the kind of life that is infused into each one of us. So not only do we have the imputed righteousness of Christ, we also have the life of Christ coming into our own lives so that we can live differently than we ever lived before. And in the context of spiritual warfare, the breastplate of righteousness is so important. It covers the whole front from the shoulders down to the waist and the whole back. All of the vital organs are covered by that breastplate of righteousness. Satan can't penetrate it. He can't get through to you and say, you are not worthy because you are not in your own works, but because of the imputed righteousness of Christ and because of the life of God that is pouring out into you. So we have this breastplate of righteousness. And that's pretty amazing to stop and think about. And again, recall the context that we're looking at here in Ephesians chapter 6. We are talking about the warfare that we fight as Christians. Now, It's important to understand that the victory is won. Satan is a defeated foe. But he does have the power of deception. And I have seen it. You have seen it. Perhaps you've even experienced it. Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5.8 Through the power of deception, he is trying to rob us of the fullness that God has intended for us. And so, very important that we have this armor of God on us so that we fight that battle and so that Satan does not rob us of the the fullness of what God desires. So this week we are going to look at, in verse 15, having our feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel peace. Our feet fitted. Now stop and think about the importance of how you cover your feet. As far as going on walks, walking down a a hot concrete sidewalk, let's say. If your feet aren't properly fitted, for walking down that hot concrete sidewalk, what are you going to do? You're going to be hopping all the way. (laughs) Let's take another example. If your feet aren't fitted for a hike that is full of rocks and that is on a steep incline, 
what's going to happen? You're probably not going to perform as well. Now, in the context here, Paul is talking about the armament that a Roman soldier would wear. And the, the footwear of the Roman soldier was very, very important because Roman soldiers walked a lot. A big part of their lives as soldiers was marching from place to place. In fact, certain historians talk about the footwear of the Roman soldier being the premier reason for the success of the Roman legions. Because their footwear was superior to other armies. And as you might expect, if, if, if your foot becomes injured or infected or unable to move, what happens as a soldier? You can't go with your garrison to where they are going. You are left behind. So footwear is very important. One of the advances that the Romans made with regards to their footwear as relates to doing battle was to implement spikes that they would put onto the bottom of of their uh, footwear. And their their footwear was essentially a very strong leather that would cover the bottom of their feet and go up to their knees. But on the bottom, on the very bottom, they would have these spikes And the spikes would allow them to get good stability. So when they are fighting against someone, oftentimes, as you might imagine, in muddy fields, oftentimes the bloody fields, if you didn't have that firm stability, easy to fall, to stumble, to be brought down to the ground. So that was one of the advances that the Romans made. And again, as I said, many attribute the footwear of the Roman legions to their success. And so Paul here is saying that we too ought to have our feet fastened. And the word there in the Greek literally means to be firmly secured from the bottom. So fastened onto the feet firmly from the bottom. Now, if Chris Osnes were here, he would talk to us about the importance of having right footwear and being properly fitted. Because all of us have had shoes, no doubt, that didn't fit us well. Maybe too tight, pinching our feet. Or maybe too loose, falling off. Or not properly secured. You know how you walk around and and your shoestrings become loose and all of a sudden you step on your string and say, oh, whoa. What happened to me there? Properly fitted for the purpose that you are being called to. Now, in this particular context, we are talking about spiritual warfare. And it says that we are to have our feet fastened with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So we talk about putting on the gospel of peace onto our feet. And essentially, you know, when you're talking about your walk, the Bible refers to that literally as your life as a Christian. It's not just physically walking that we're talking about here, of course. There is a spiritual reality to this message. The walk that we have as Christians, uh, the Bible says, ought to be one characterized by love. In 1 John, we are to walk in love. Our lives are to reflect love. We are to walk in the light, it says, as he is in the light. We are to walk circumspectly or with wisdom, 
understanding that the days are evil. So there's a lot of uh, talk in the Bible about how we are to walk, what our walk as Christians, what our lives as Christians ought to look like. Well, this particular passage in in Ephesians 6.15 is talking about that too. This is talking about your life and my life as a Christian being properly situated with our footwear so that our walk, the lives we live, will be prepared with the readiness, and that readiness is literally a word that means prepared, for the gospel of peace, to share it, to to put it out there. So I want to talk a little bit about the gospel of peace. We're in July, but last week Barbara reminded us that Christmas isn't that far away. Going to be here before we know it. Do you remember the passage in Luke chapter 2 when the angel is announcing the birth of Christ to the shepherds? What the message of the angel was to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those upon whom His favor rests. So the message from the very beginning from the very announcement of the birth of Christ was a message that reflected peace. Now, peace with God in mind is not the absence of conflict. A lot of times we will hear of nations who are signing a peace accord or a peace treaty where they are no longer going to do battle. That's not the kind of peace that God is talking about. The kind of peace that God is talking about, as the angel said, is a peace where His favor, His grace, His blessing rests upon people. It's not just an absence of conflict, conflict, but it's an extension of blessing. So from the very beginning, this message of peace was intact, being proclaimed. The whole gospel, the good news was that God is no longer at war with mankind. And really, ultimately, mankind no longer has to be at war with God. God has extended the terms of reconciliation to mankind through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that term reconciliation, you know, we've all heard it. The reconciliation, you know, you're reconciling your books, bringing them back into order, making sure everything matches up. With regards to God's reconciliation, and Paul says that we're all ministers of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's the deal. Here's the, the peace that has been afforded to us as human beings. He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, was made to be sin on our behalf that in Him, Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the reconciliation that has taken place as as we talked about. And and, and that reconciliation, I want to to read from uh, Romans chapter 5. It says, 
because of that reconciliation, because of those peace terms that God has, has given to us, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we have been justified by faith. We've talked about that a lot with regards to our study of Romans. But justification essentially means just as if we had never sinned. We have been justified in Christ. It is by faith, by believing in the work that He did on the cross, becoming sin for us, being killed, buried, but then rising again on the third day. Our faith in that justifies us. And the terms that God put out there for reconciliation have been achieved when we believe. And we then have peace with God. Now this is incredibly, incredibly important. Peace with God means that everything, everything has been taken care of. Peace terms with God are eternal. They're not temporary. Peace terms with God, based upon the work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross of Calvary, are eternal. I want you to, to take a hold of that. You have peace with God from this day forward, from the day forward, really, that you accepted by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have peace with God. The battle has ended. Grace has been extended. Favor rests upon you. Now, I'm emphasizing this because so often as Christians, we be, fall back into that mindset that tells us that God's angry with us. He's trying to get us. You know, because things happen in our lives and we think, well, God, if, if I was at peace with you, if you loved me, why would you let this happen? How could this occur in the life of someone that you love? And of course, that's a whole nother study about the discipline of God and the work of God in our lives conforming us to Christ. But you must understand that you have peace with God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of justification by faith. And that same peace has been extended to the entire world. All we have to do is believe to have peace with God. And that's a great place to be. It's a great place to be because have you not experienced the turmoil, the turbulence, the tribulation that occurs when you think that God is upset with you, that God is angry at you? And He's not. He is not. You have peace with God. That's part of the gospel of peace. Peace with God. But beyond peace with God, you can also have the peace of God. This is also very important. Because there are going to be situations in our lives, particularly as we talk about in spiritual warfare, where we are at in battle with the enemy of our souls, where the waves are crashing around us, the, the, the battle is... Uh, going on everywhere we look. Our lives are just in turmoil. And we think, again, as I pointed out, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Well, the Bible promises that we can have 
not only peace with God, but the peace of God. It says in, in Philippians chapter 4 that we are to be anxious for nothing. Worried about nothing. Jesus said, why do you worry? He says, which of you can add an inch to your stature because of worry? And it's true. Worry is a total waste of time. It's be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and souls in Christ Jesus. See, the peace of God comes to the person who understands they have peace with God and that God's favor rests on them, that God wants to bless them. And so when you're going through that difficult time, when that turbulence is occurring, when the attack of the enemy is upon you, you cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's like Jenny said this morning, you're his bride. He will do whatever it takes to protect you, to provide for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. So the peace of God comes upon us that passes understanding. And it says in uh, Colossians 3.15 that we are to let the peace of God reign in our hearts. So that peace of God, that understanding that I have peace with God through Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin was made to be sin on my behalf. I have the righteousness of, of Christ. I have peace with God and I can call upon him. I can make requests of him and give thanks to him for those requests because I know he will answer them according to his perfect will. He will meet every need that I have according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And when I understand that, and when I believe that, that he will meet every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, I have the peace of God. What could upset me when I know that the creator of the universe has my back and he wants to provide everything that I need and he has the capacity to provide everything I need. So this gospel of peace provides peace with God, the peace of God. And as I said earlier, it also gives us the understanding that we need to have peace with men. As I pointed out, oftentimes we will get into that posture where we believe that we are doing battle with the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever party or group that thinks differently than we do. And we look at them and we begin to think, they're the enemy. They're the ones that we've got to overcome. They're the ones that we have to defeat. And it's not true. It's not true from a Christian's perspective. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, that we are to be at peace with all men so far as it depends on us. Now, I'm glad Paul said that because sometimes people don't want to be at peace with us. But from our perspective, from our approach working with other human beings, we have this message that our feet have been fastened with. We are living a life that reflects the goodness and the grace of God. We are not to be at battle with other people. 
We are to love them as far as possible with you. Be at peace with all men. Very, very important. Because a lot of times, and I don't know about you, uh, this is just my perspective, but a lot of times I hear people preaching the gospel and proclaiming a message that really doesn't sound all that appealing to me. You know, because it's all about a political outcome. Or it's all about defeating this faction or that group. And that's really not that great a news to me. I want to live in, a, in a, an environment that has a transcendent message. It's not about just winning in this life. It's not about overcoming people that think differently than I do. It's about the love of God demonstrated in Christ to a lost and dying world. We've become His ambassadors. We have become the mouthpieces, if you will, for the reconciliation message that God has reconciled the world to Himself in Christ. So, as we go forth, and again, think, remember the context here. This is about spiritual battle. This is about spiritual warfare. Having our feet fastened with the pre- preparation of the readiness of the gospel of peace. This is about spiritual warfare. Twofold. First, when we are properly fastened with the gospel of peace, the attacks of the enemy against us will not prevail. Because we will understand that God loves us, that we are at peace with Him, and that we can go to Him to have His peace permeate our lives. So remember those, those um, spikes? When we know that the peace of God, when we understand the gospel of peace, Satan attacks us, we stay in place. We stand firm. We don't move. So it helps us in a defensive posture, but it also helps us in an offensive posture posture in spiritual warfare because we are to it says in Matthew 28 19 and 20 go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all men all nations teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you Jesus said lo I will be with you always even to the end of the age so we have this gospel of peace that we can go and proclaim to a world that is at war with God. God has offered terms of peace. God has sent His Son. His Son has prevailed and risen from the dead. We can tell the world that the gospel is their pathway to salvation. So, what did Jesus say? He said, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Now, gates are something that are stationary and are defensive, protecting someone from getting in. So think about that statement. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So as we are going out and proclaiming the gospel of peace, we are moving with our feet well-fastened, We will prevail. The message of God's reconciliation with the world will win. Now that's not to say that every person is going to believe. 
There will be a lot of people we know from study of the end times, from the book of Revelation, a lot of people that will oppose God. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You have a message to proclaim to people that are in your sphere of influence. Family, friends, co-workers, people God just brings into your universe. You have a message of peace. You are an ambassador for Christ. Each one of us represents the God of peace. And I want to read and conclude with this Scripture out of Romans chapter 16. It's in verse 20 of chapter 16 of of the, uh, uh, the epistle of the Romans. And it's a powerful scripture. And, and I think about it in terms of the fact that Paul wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. But Paul, in concluding his epistle to the Romans, writes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So, are your feet fastened, properly secured with the preparation of the gospel of peace, both for defensive and offensive purposes? If it's not, if you have not put on your shoes before you began to walk this walk, it's never too late. Just sit down and lace them up. Get them secured. But I want to drive home the point that you have a message to convey. And it's powerful. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we give praise to you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. The peace that reigns in our hearts because we have peace with you. And we trust that truth, Lord. We trust that each one of us can live a life that is characterized by peace. I'm thinking of that passage in Isaiah where Isaiah writes, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Lord, help us to keep our eyes and ears focused on you that we might know and share your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.